couple things I thank you. A couple things I learned through that is uh, number one, I uh, hope you guys like having me around because I don't think my rap career is blowing up anytime soon. Uh, the the second thing I learned is it's one thing to write lyrics; it's an entirely different thing to actually rap those lyrics, and uh, way way harder than uh, than it seems. Uh, but anyway, um, there was some funny. Somebody asked me afterwards, like, so what were some of those exchanges like? Like when you guys walking down, you would be surprised. Like people in downtown Mason are like, "What is going on?" Like people were getting out their phones, like taping. When when I walked up to uh, Skyline, you know, I was like, my I was trying to just be inconspicuous and like not be strange. Uh, didn't work. So I walked up and the guys just like through the through the little radio things like howdy partner like that. Like, <laughs> I loved it. It's like totally played. I'm like yeah, can I have a few cheese conies? Like just totally normal here, you know. Um, so the question is relevant, right? And maybe you've had this thought or this feeling before, like you just love to go back uh, in time to a, quote, simpler time when things moved a little bit slower. Um, like another song that I think about by Rascal Flatts that, uh, that talks about, it says, sometimes it feels like this world is spinning faster than it did in the old days. So naturally, we have more natural disasters from the strain of a fast pace. Sunday was a day of rest. Now it's one more day for progress. And we can't slow down because more is best. It's all an endless process. Anybody feel that way? Anybody sense that we're kind of caught up in that? And sometimes, maybe like the song, you wish, uh, like, like they do, that we could get back to Mayberry, right? I miss Mayberry sitting on the porch drinking ice-cold cherry Coke where everything is black and white, picking on the sixth string, where people pass by and you call them by their first name, watching the clouds roll by. Bye-bye. And maybe it seems like a lament, right, because it doesn't seem like we've seen those days in a while. And I could say for me as a millennial, that time really seems like a distant memory, you know, just sitting up on the porch. And I had some of those moments, um, you know, with my grandparents. I remember sitting on their porch, and you talk about it almost as a, a reminiscent of a different day, a different time. Um, but the truth is, really, uh, over the last 30 years that, that I've lived, the pace of living in America has accelerated a blistering rate. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know because you feel that pace every single day as you live your lives. You feel the demands, the pressures, the pace that is constantly accelerating. And I really just kind of want to pose a question to all of us because I think all of us are aware of that. But the question is, at what expense? At what expense is that pace um, coming to us at? Uh, and, and I think that we've all probably at one, in one way or another felt the strain of that fast pace Either physically, you're just drained, you're like, I just, man, I just need some sleep, I just need, uh, you, maybe you felt it emotionally, it's like, I just can't, like, you know, maybe you're like, I'm at the end of my rope emotionally, maybe you felt it relationally, like, I just wish there was more time to, like, lean into the things that matter and into the people that mattered. Maybe, and, and maybe, and most importantly, I think, to look at, although all of these are connected, is what is the expense for us spiritually? What is the expense for us spiritually? You see, the gravest expense is the impact on our spiritual connection with God and one another, which is really at the center of this series. And I'll just be honest with you, I try to be um, as authentic as I can when I'm up here. This is a tough message for me to work through this week. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been sensing for a long time that life is just, and the word I would give it is like hectic. There's a lot of good things, you know, and I, it's not like one thing is like overwhelming. It's just like there's a lot, a lot of things, right? It's like all the things are, and uh, trying to juggle all of those things. And um, so I, I've kind of sensed for a long time that I'm operating at a hurried kind of a pace. And two things that were really indicative for me are really uh, just 
challenging for me, honestly, is I had two moments, one of which is funny, one of which is not so funny. Uh, one of which was I was uh, just kind of going through the house, and I opened up the microwave, and there's salad in the microwave. Like, I'm talking like a whole bin of salad. Like, salad doesn't go in the microwave. It goes in the fridge, just in case you're wondering. And this was like the next day, like, and apparently what had happened was, and I had been making a salad, and because I'm like so quick, probably because I got something else going on right after this, trying to fix a salad, salad went back into the microwave, and here we go off. And I didn't find it, embarrassingly enough, until the next day. And so I said, when I found it, I was like, I was just like, I was like amazed by it. And I'm like, Jess, like, is this, like, I'm kind of like scared. I'm like, is this like early like something or other like I'm like I how could I put salad in the microwave and she said no it's not that it's hurry Josh it's hurry and I'm like she's absolutely right and I had another moment that was um a little bit more of a just intense moment for me to kind of wrestle with this and I was driving and um I just dropped my kids off on a Monday morning, and I'm thinking about just all that's coming this week. I was, like, going through, like, the checklist in my head of things. I'm not even on my phone or anything like that, but I'm just preoccupied up here. And I was taking a left-hand turn, and what I didn't see was, I was just looking at the road in front of me, but what I didn't see was there was a guy crossing the road across uh, to my left. And so I'm turning left, and I don't see him until he's right out in front of me, and he's throwing up his arms. And, like, I just, like, had enough time, by the grace of God, to, like, slam on the brakes, and my heart was racing I'm like you know I feel so bad like but I just I wrestled with that all day because I'm like that could have been so bad that could have been so bad and so the question I'm asking and I'm, I'm I've been asking it of myself all week and that is what is the expense of this pace that we run at and what is this the expense of the pace that really we're pulled into um, in our day and uh, there was a book that, that I recently picked up. I've been just reading a lot on this topic and really hoping that uh, I can embed some of these things in my life. But I picked up this book by John Mark Comer called um, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And uh, it's, it's based on a quote by Dallas Willard that, where he told some guys that were leaders, listen, ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. And so he writes a whole book about it. But here's just, let me just give you a checklist of things that... Um, or really kind of a checklist to walk through to see if, in, if, if hurry is uh, an issue for you, uh, as it is for me. And, and here's just some things. Are you irritable, number one? Are you hypersensitive, number two? Are you restless, number three? Are you a workaholic or nonstop activity, like just kid stuff all the time, all the time, nonstop activity, always moving? Um, emotional numbness, like I, you know, it's gotten to the point where like I just don't even really feel sort of connected to myself in, in, in that way. Uh, out of place priorities, lack of care for your body, escapist behaviors, overeating, over drinking, mindless scrolling on the phone is a new one of the day, right? Like I just, there's this escapist, like I just got to escape in my own way. Uh, slippage of spiritual disciplines. And lastly, um, and these are in no specific order, but um, isolation. And that's why this is so important to what we're talking about today when it comes to simplicity. If we're going to grab um, back onto meaningful connection with one another and with God, um, we've got to figure out simplicity. We've got to understand how to find margin in our lives. Carl Lung says that hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. And he was the one who created the Myers-Briggs personality test. He knows a thing or two about uh, human uh, interactions and connections. And so, um, and, and by the way, this message is not meant to pile guilt 
It's simply to raise the alarm, because I think this is an important question for us to digest, um, given our cultural moment and given where we're at today. Let me just make an important distinction up front. There is a difference between busy, being busy and being hurried. There is a difference. If you notice the life of Jesus, Jesus had a lot of things to do. Right? I mean, Jesus was busy. If you could define it that way, he was busy. If anybody could claim busyness or the, the, the demand on him, it was Jesus. Yet, what you notice about Jesus is, while he was busy, he was never hurried. He was never hurried. He was always in the moment. He was always in control. He always lived a sense of balance in the middle of the hurry that was happening around him. And so what we need to figure out is, how do we live simply amidst the hurry? Because I hate to break it to you, but the speed of culture isn't slowing down. We're not going to be tomorrow, it's it's just not going to slow down, we know that. We're not going back to Mayberry. And so the change must happen in us. We've got to set a different pace, we've got to set a different tone, we've got to chase wholeheartedly after simplicity, because I think the expense is great if we don't. As I've been kind of wrestling through this, you know, I feel like God, at least as I uh, interpret things, as I'm hearing from God and praying and, and, um, and reading it, sometimes God's just very direct with me, which is what I think exactly what I need. Like, sometimes it's very soft and, like, I receive it. And sometimes it's like, just, he, just like it feels like a two-by-four because, like, that's what I need to, for him to get my attention, uh, whether it be these moments or other things. But I felt like one of the things that God's revealed to me about simplicity is, and it's been very convicting. The opposite of simplicity is not complexity, at least not biblically speaking. The opposite of simplicity is idolatry. Now, just sit with that for just a second. We're going to unpack that a little bit here in just a minute. But when we really think about the essence of what we're caught up into, um, that we're getting sucked into um, culturally, um, it really is idolatry. Until we acknowledge what it is, first and foremost, that this is actually a sin in my life. We're not going to be as ruthless about cutting it out. And the reason why I think it's important for us to acknowledge that it is, because in so many ways, things like working, 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 or running, running, running as fast as you can, or productivity, or individualism, or some of the things we're going to talk about, those things are celebrated as our, as our culture. And we even kind of brag about them a lot of times um, as Christians, you know, about how we didn't get our Sabbath in this week or how we didn't, you know. And so I think it's important that first and foremost we recognize that the opposite of simplicity, at least biblically speaking, is not um, complexity, it's idolatry. And so let's talk about what is idolatry in the Old Testament and really throughout the Scripture. Well, idolatry in the Old Testament happened when the gods of the day were worshipped, were elevated over the one true God. And so, okay, Josh, how does that have anything to do with simplicity? Well, there's really two different cycles that we can buy into or or, or two different ways we can go about living. The first is this process of idolatry. And idolatry happens when we deconstruct the things of God in our life or we allow pressures from the outside to deconstruct the things of God in our life. And we buy into that and we allow that to happen. And we instead construct the idols of the day in our life. And so when it comes to these things that we're talking about and simplicity, simplicity actually works opposite that. And what simplicity does is it says it fights against and it deconstructs the things of the world, the idols of the day in our life, and it reconstructs or re-engineers or constructs the things of God in our life. And so in that sense, again, simplicity, the opposite of simplicity is not complexity. The opposite of simplicity is idolatry. 
And so that is heavy for me, definitely, as I think about it, because if I am going to really tackle this in my life, I've got to acknowledge that the way I'm, I, we live our lives when we're not living simplicity is not honoring to God, and so we've got to be able to call that. We have to call it what it is, and that's sin in our life. And so looking back in Scripture, we see various times when uh, the people of the day rejected the simplicity of living in communion with God for idolatry. And so if we're going to tackle this uh, issue in our life in the way that we would tackle uh, idolatry in our life, let's see how they did it in the day. And so in Judges 21, 25, we see uh, a period in time when idolatry, idolatry was very prevalent, uh, as in really any day and age, but we see it specifically in the scripture here. And in Judges 21, 25, um, it talks about this period of judges when there was no king in Israel, and really uh, what characterized that time was there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and it really had a devastating impact on the people. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, it says, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. They were on the run. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land, and they ruined the crops all the way uh, to Gaza, and did not spare a single living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like a swarm of locusts. It was impossible to count them on their, uh, or, or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And I really think that's the starting place. We've got to get to the place where, and at some point in time where you just say, you throw up your hands like, all right, enough is enough. Enough is enough. Can't keep doing it this way. And that's what they did. They had been just run over and devastated in every way, physically, so on and so forth, and enough was enough, and so they cried out. And the same thing was happening here in the book of Judges that, uh, that we see happening in the book of jo uh, in Jonah, when in, in it's written that those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So when we cling to, again, the things of the world, the idols of the world, uh, what we're doing is simultaneously drawing away from God and his love. And people were gravitating to the idols of the day, and they were drifting from God and his love. So the question then for us is, what are the gods of our day? What are the things that we elevate um, in opposition to the things of God in our life? And we have to figure out how to deconstruct some of those uh, modern idols in our lives. Um, so all of these things, these are some things that I think produce excessive hurry in our day and really work in opposition. None of these things, by the way, is evil in and of itself. Good things can become idols, right? I mean, good things can be idols if we elevate them above God in our life. And so the question that we have to wrestle with is, are these things, again, not evil in and of themselves, but the obsession of them and the addiction to them is what uh, creates idolatry. And the first one is this, work. Now, work is a healthy thing. Work was created by God. We were meant to be productive and fulfilled in that. It's designed by God. And we're, we're fulfilled in our work, right? But when there is all work and no rest, it was meant to be a balance of work and rest. We were meant to, to have these, the pendulum swing back and forth. That's why God created the Sabbath. Even God rests on the seventh day, right? He stops working and he sets an example for us that we're going to be most fulfilled in our work when we take time to actually stop and rest. 
without a balance of biblical Sabbath, what ends up happening is work becomes destructive in our life. It becomes um, an idol in our life. Number two, uh, tech. Now, again, I have a smartphone. I have a computer. I'm not advocating for it. It's like don't use technology. There's a lot of technological advancement that is super helpful to us. And in the, used in the right ways, it can be uh, something that draws us near to God in the digital age. But here's what I'm saying. Um, 2007 marked the beginning of the digital age. It's when Facebook became accessible to anybody that had an email. It's when Twitter launched its own platform. And most importantly, it's when Steve Jobs announced the iPhone for the first time. And since then, it seems like everything has, has changed digitally. We've just seen this rapid explosion of technology. And um, one of the impacts of that, as we all know, is, again, that this, it, we start to become obsessed with this. When's the last time you looked at that little screen time thing on your phone and you're like, wow, I didn't think, like, I'd been on that that much. Or you feel like we just have this, like, impulse to, like, reach down and, like, check our phones all the time. I mean, there's something that's, that's happening that's rewiring us up here. And I think we have to be aware of that. And the truth is, we're not even, in terms of, like, research, because it was only 2007 when a lot of this started, we're not even fully aware of the full health impact of technology, right? I mean, Physically speaking and beyond, we're starting to see some of the, the issues, and it's very complex. Um, but it's something we need to be aware of, is like, what is the expense uh, of our obsession, our digital obsession? Arthur Bors, he writes um, in a book called Living Into Focus, he talks all about uh, just kind of technology and the impact it's having. Um, and one of the things he talks about is how in previous days, people used to gather like around the fireplace, the hearth. And uh, you'd gather around the fireplace, you'd have conversations, you'd share, share family stories, right? You'd maybe sing some songs, um, whatever that might be, you would connect in those ways. You would connect around this focal point in the home. What do we gather around now? The TV. Or, worse than that, we don't even gather around the TV anymore. We all have our own devices and we go to separate places in the house and we hang out individually just camped out on our devices, you can't tell me that that doesn't have an impact on meaningful connection with one another. You can't tell me that when the phone comes out, and again, I'm just as guilty as everyone else. I'm just, again, raising the alarm. When the phone comes out a bunch of times in the middle of a conversation that you're having, face-to-face -face with somebody across from you, you can't tell me that that's not dissolving meaningful connection in your relationships. So we have to be aware of what's happening as we raise tech up uh, as an idol in our life. The third one I'll mention is um, self. We are a very self-absorbed culture. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, this is the age of the selfie. Nothing wrong with taking a selfie. But if you go through your entire feed and it's a majority of it's pictures of yourself, I think you should just evaluate that is all I'm saying. Nothing wrong with pictures of yourself. But are we being consumed and, and, and becoming consumed with ourselves? Because that is unhealthy. Um, and, and one of the things I'd say too is in, in general is your life focused around you. Because what happens is if we're constantly thinking about ourselves, if we're constantly worried about ourselves, if we're constantly wrapped up in ourselves, what ends up happening is we start to just see some of these things grow in our life like depression, like anxiety. You know, I'm not saying that's the only cause of it. I, these are very clinical things. But what I'm saying is some of those things can be attributed to this self-focus that we've raised up this idol of self in our culture. And so I think we have to think about that um, and evaluate that. That yourself, again, positive self-image is important, but what we see is the self-absorption actually works against a positive self-image. 
We never feel good enough. We never feel like we amount enough, right? We always feel like we have something to prove. And so that idol is not worth us worshiping. The last one I'll say, and again, these aren't all of them. We could talk about a whole bunch of them, right? But the last one is stuff. And let's just call this consumerism. Right, that we are in a culture that just wants us to consume, consume, consume. I mean, I mean, you're just a barrage of advertising out there, right, that wants to make you feel like you will not be content until you have this, that, or the other thing. Or the newest this, that, or the other thing. And so we've been rewired to be like, oh, no, that's going to make me complete, right? If I just have that technology, I have that thing, I have that, whatever it might be, then. And so what ends up happening is we're just bogged down with all this stuff that we have. And again, in full, um, full disclosure, um, Jess and I have been talking about this at our own house. Like just looking around, it's like she sent this you know, message out last week that was one of uh, her stories. And we try to be authentic even on our media that like it does, it's not always like you know, rainbows and sunshine and skipping through the meadows as a family. Like sometimes it looks like our house did last week. It was like just like a tornado came through and we're like, what happened? Now, part of that is just that we have young people that live in our house that do not care at all about cleaning up. They're like just, just destruction like over and over again. That's part of it. But there's also another part of it that we've talked about. And that is that we just have too much stuff. We have too much stuff. If we didn't have so many clothes, there wouldn't be so many clothes to wash, right? And I bless Jess's heart because I saw her just care. She's just got like so many of these piles of clothes over and over again. We look at our house and there wouldn't be so many toys all over the place to put away all the time. Which, by the way, my kids will take out every single toy. If, if the toy is in the house, it's coming out. And so, like, it's just, uh, you get to a point where, like, if we had less toys, they would play with those toys. And then we'd have less toys to put away. And so I'm not saying we figured it out yet, but it's something we're, we're, we're journeying toward. And you see all these things now today, right, talking about minimalism, which I think is really a good thing, right? There's been this uptick in tiny houses and minimalism and, and all this stuff. This really wasn't, like, original to these authors. This was really original to the biblical authors who have been telling us for years that it's better if we live simplistic kind of lives. And so, um, again, haven't figured all that out, but it's worth evaluating. These are just some of the idols that I think uh, can just place a high demand on us that um, this is too much. Um, so if, again, we could speak more of, of different ones, but let's ask the question then that naturally follows. Which is how do we break that cycle? I mean, how do we break the cycle of idolatry? And I, I don't want to try to present you any simple answers. I don't want to give you a 10 steps to, you know, 10 steps is too many already, right? Like 10 steps to simplicity, like that. Let's just talk about it. And in some ways, you might feel unresolved at the end of this, and that's okay, because then you can try to work through this process. But here's the first thing I think that needs to happen. Um, and we see it right here. This is what God does in response to the people of God saying, enough is enough. Let's cry out to God. The, he got a guy named Gideon who became the leader in that time. And Gideon was given this mandate by God. Uh, as God breaks into this cycle of idolatry, um, Midian shows up, or, um, Gideon shows up, and here's what he says to Gideon. It says, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. <coughs> Excuse me, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, um, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there, with, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of Asherah that you shall cut down. All right, step one of simplicity. Let's keep it simple as we can. Deconstruct our modern idols. 
And again, I say deconstruct because I don't think you're just going to all of a sudden quit all this stuff cold turkey and be like, okay, I'm throwing out my computer, I'm throwing out my... I think you've got to figure out ways to start to deconstruct the obsession that we have with these things. I've tried to, and this is just my first baby step. I'm putting the phone on a shelf in a different room where I can't get a hold of it when I'm at home, like when I get home in the evening. So, you know, just telling you that too, if you try to reach me, can't reach me, like I, you know, I just, I I know that I have to do that. That's a baby step, right? And so it doesn't go up into my room anymore. Like I don't want that thing by my head for a variety of reasons, but um, I don't want the first thing that happens in the morning for me to roll over and grab my phone as opposed to roll over and say good morning to my wife. And that's just one, so I'm trying to figure it out. But step one, I think, is deconstruct our modern idols. Um, and what is interesting here is in verse 25, you think that seems simple enough? Like, hey, uh, tell you what, Gideon, go tear down the idols of the day. Like, as if that's going to be really well received. And in fact, it is not. Because they're, like, they're obsessed with these things, right? Like, this has dominated their life. And, their, and, and so when he goes and tears those things down, it was not a popular decision. And he knew it wasn't going to be a popular decision, which is why he did it at night. He's like, I'm going to go, you know, I get what you're saying, God, but can we, like, can I do that at night? Because, like, they're going to murder me if I go and do this uh, during the daytime. So he does it at night. And I say that to say um, he goes at night because it's not popular. And... Um, it's, it's a process. For Gideon, the physical removal of the idols is not, was only the first step in the process. He was doing something symbolic. He was doing something to signal to the people, enough is enough. The idols are coming down. We're not going to worship these things anymore. And so he made a strong point by doing that. But those idols were not going to go down without a fight. It was going to be a process, including a hard-fought battle against the Midianites. And so I say that to say, don't be surprised if you're like, yep, I agree with you, Josh, but these idols aren't going down without a fight. These modern idols were not built in a day. They likely will not be deconstructed in a day. So deconstruction is the word. How do you begin to deconstruct these things? Um, And again, don't be surprised if tearing them down Uh, goes against the norm. And people, you know, are not still expecting more of you, expecting more time of you because um, this is not the popular way to live. So number one, deconstruct the modern idols, some of these things or other things that might exist in your life. Step number two, uh, rebuild an altar to God um, is what he had um, him do next. He said, okay, on top of where you tore down this idol, you're going to build back an altar to God. You're going to make a, make a declaration to God that you're resubmitting to a life of following after him. And what that means for us is that we reestablish and reconstruct the things of God in our life. So now that we've deconstructed the idols, or really these two things aren't going to happen one then the other. It's both of them are happening at the same time, right? So I'm both simultaneously deconstructing the things of the world in my life while reconstructing the things of God in my life. And so there's this reconstruction of what I'll just call ancient rhythms. This is where we kind of go back in time to say, like, let's recapture the ancient rhythms that we see in the scriptures. It's what Richard Foster, Richard Foster refers to as the spiritual disciplines. He wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. It's just a classic resource here that talks about spiritual disciplines that help orient our life around God. And so I think we have to get back to uh, the spiritual disciplines and build those things back up in our life. Here's what Richard Foster has to say. He says, the most difficult problem is not finding time, but convincing myself that this is important enough to set aside the time. Disciplines are not the answer. They only lead us to the answer. So 
these things are an important part of our existence. These are things that are an important part of our function as, as children of the kingdom. Uh, King David um, was a guy that we see throughout the scriptures. He had this kind of, these up and down struggles, just like any of us. Um, and it was an up and down struggle for him, even in maintaining oneness with God. But we get to kind of a firsthand look at his prayer journal in the book of Psalms and see uh, a lot of what he wrestled with. And in Psalm 73, I love what it says. It says, my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. I was senseless and, and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And so as we flee from these other things, may the sovereign Lord be your refuge. May you delight in him and may you rebuild your life on a foundation of Jesus. Here's some spiritual rhythms. I'm just going to kind of run through some of these quickly. Um, but... And again, you have to figure out how to, how to implement some of this stuff into your life. Solitude and silence. This is one of the hardest ones for uh, young parents. Totally get that. Like, there's not a lot of solitude and silence in our life. But I've had to figure out, like, the only time of day really seems to be, like, that alarm clock's got to be going off before anybody else in my house is awake and, or it's not going to happen. Um, and so solitude and silence. We see this with Jesus. Where did he go? He went off while it was still dark to a solitary place. And he prayed. So he's physically removed himself. And found that place. Sabbath and rest. Um, one of the things you see with Jesus too is how many times you see Jesus napping when things are going down. Like you would think like this is kind of an important moment Jesus. Like the world is falling in here and we've got this storm and Jesus is in the back of the boat like just like, you know, snoring. And you're like what's going on? But Jesus again he understood the importance of rest. Prayer and fasting, the disciples, they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. There was something so irresistible about the way that Jesus prayed and functioned. They're like, teach us how to pray. We should, we should pray that same prayer. Community and fellowship. We've talked about this throughout the series. Um, and, and in a way that actually builds you up in the Lord, right? That, like I've got some people around me that are strengthening me um, toward my goal to be closer to Jesus. Reading and reflection. The word of God is irreplaceable. We could say that over and over again in a million different ways. Um, Worship and daily delight. I'd say just giving thanks to God and finding him, recapturing those everyday moments to just give thanks to God, uh, whatever those look like. Uh, and the last, and I think this is really important as we uh, work in opposition to the idol of self in our life, is service to others. But like the only way to kind of dissolve that idol is to figure out ways to not focus your life around yourself and start to, to focus your life around God and other people. And so, again reconstruct the things of God in your life, but I'm not saying go home and be like, cool, I heard what you said, Josh, I'm going to read the Bible in like a month, or I'm going to fast every day for the next, that might be what you decide to do, but I would suggest taking, I'm going to make it 15 minutes a day, I'm make it 15 minutes a day, and I'm going to start there, and I'm going to build up, because otherwise you're going to feel like this is more of a chore rather than what it should be, which is a delight to be in the presence of God. So what does that look like? And it won't happen overnight, but we've got to reconstruct biblical practices into our lives and the rhythms of our family. Um, but the last question I want to just as we're kind of concluding here is, 
the question that I had is really the question that I started with, and that's what's at stake. What's at stake? I don't want to be overdramatic about this, but I don't think this is, I think this is one of the things as I'm talking with people and spending time with people that is most readily just like bearing down on them right now. And so I think there is a lot at stake here uh, in our day. And I wish I could say that the Israelites, there was this like happy ending for them, and they lived happily ever after in intimate communion with God and deep connection with one another. That's not how it goes for them. In Judges 8, 33 through 35, it says, As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again, and they whored after the Baals and Baal Bareth, their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all the enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Gideon in return for all the good that he had done to them. That's how the story ended. It's like very like, oh, man, that's crushing. But I think that our story can play out differently. And normally this would be the time of the message where I, like, bring you guys all to resolution. There's some things probably, I've done a lot of, you know, creating, like, unresolving things for everyone. Unfortunately, I'm not going to do that today. And it's still a work in progress for me, too. But what I will say is that on the other side of that, what's at stake for us is vitality. The other side of simplicity is vitality. And simplicity is really what brings about vitality in our lives. And so we've got to just believe that that's possible and chase after that with that goal in mind. Our health, physically, relationally, spiritually is what's at stake. Um, Our souls are at stake. Who we are becoming is at stake. Where we are leading our family is at stake. Our destiny is at stake. Our relationships are at stake. We need simplicity because where there is simplicity, there is vitality. I just want to leave you with one more thought, and it's really a thought that I gave uh, to, to some of our uh, team uh, this year. Um, we, we take a, a retreat every year, and some of our leaders, I encourage them. I was like, you know, like, there's this whole thing today called FOMO, which is fear of missing out. What if instead of having fear of, like, missing out on all the things that are going on around us, we had a different fear, and that was, like, the fear of missing God? FOMO sounds cooler than FOMG, but FOMG, I think, is what we really need um, in this day and this time. Uh, Here's the good news for you. It's, it's, simplicity is not found in us going to a different place or a different period in time. Simplicity is not in a place or a time period. Simplicity is in a person. The one who says, come to me, all you who are weary, I will give you rest. And so let's have fear of missing him, if nothing else. Let, let that be the thing that drives us, that draws us into closer connection to him. I'm just going to spend some time praying, and then we're going to just sing one more time about simplicity. Sorry to leave you unresolved, but I encourage you to go and see, spend some time with the Lord this week, and figure out how this fleshes out in your own life and family. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you that despite all the hustle and bustle, despite all the demands, that you promised us if we would just come to you, if we would just draw near to you, that we could find and take a true rest. God, would you give us that rest? Would you give us the ability to deconstruct the things that have grown to a greater importance in our life and God and build back the importance of you in our life God that we would rebuild that altar to you God help us to by the power of your grace and your mercy and your strength walk into greater simplicity we pray in Jesus name